paint the picture of the like post-merger culture. Oh man, it's it's like so strange thinking back to it because we were also all remote at the time. Mm. So that adds an extra layer of complexity. Sure. I mean, I handled the culture stuff um, using my teaching background, funnily mm. enough. Uh, I started scheduling just little coffee chats where we could meet in small groups and just kind of start getting to, to know each other and talk a little bit. This sounds very silly, but I, I implemented some show and tell. Okay, so, I love that. That's not silly. Yeah, that's awesome. I thought it was awesome too. And again, yeah. it came back to my teaching roots. And I thought to myself, okay, when it comes to children <laughs> and, and like pretty much everyone, the best way of really building shared context is how I like to refer to it, yeah. is by like making new inside jokes, like getting to know people outside of work as well. The key was creating these projects that people could work on together. So yeah. regardless of, you know, which which company someone came from previously like they we just encourage them to shed that from their identities right. and recognize that we have a new shared identity i like to think about the idea of creating an employee value proposition i as a people and culture leader have to think about okay for my employees how can i make their time with us valuable as yeah. well awesome okay Becca, hello. Hi. Thanks for joining me in the studio. You're so welcome. It's uh, very exciting to be here. How does it feel to be here in this wonderful black room? Um, it was a little overwhelming at first. Uh, what the audience can't see is the large screen with all of the faces looking back at you. Yeah. My own face, of Your course, face, granted. Right. But I think that makes it worse <laughs> <laughs> because it's. Uh, I, I think like real pros learn to not be self-conscious. Um, oh, give I me some know. time. I'll get there. I don't know. You know, all the famous celebs are extremely fragile people. Oh, really? So hmm. I don't know. It's us everyday people that, you know should feel like more empowered to be in front of cameras because uh, mm -hmm. anyway, whatever. We won't <laughs> theosophize about <laughs> cameras in everyday society and social media stuff, but it is an absolute pleasure to have you with me um, for so many reasons. One, because this is part of our ongoing gathering series, uh, a near and dear to my heart project where we're sitting down with people in people and culture, HR positions, uh, supporting teams in whatever capacity. And kind of get a try to survey and get a sense of, you know, what are the needs of teams in Canadian companies, um, and how can the lessons that you'll share on the mic today uh, help other people that will be in this room as part of the series. So it's kind of this like peer mentorship experiment. Uh, the other reason is because we have a little bit of history with Ace, mm -hmm. uh, which we could dig into in the session. But um, but I think it's a, another one of these kind of growing Canadian brands that's really rooted in Toronto. And it has had a really interesting growth story. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. really happy to have you here to kind of relate your take on that. And let's jump into it. Cool. Yeah. So how, uh, okay, people and culture is such a weird thing because every, almost every single person that's been on our podcast series for Gathering has told me that they came into people and culture because they were really good with people. They like being around people and helping people. Mm-hmm. How, what was your entry into that kind of like, into that world, into that job description? Yeah, title? it's uh, I, I can totally see how that's the case. And I think my story is not dissimilar. Um, just anecdotally, I feel like a lot of people fall into HR mm -hmm. or people as people in culture, um, which I certainly felt like I did. So I think to tell the story, I do have to back up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, rewind. You're right. Rewind. Rewind, selector. <laughs> and... Um, Oh, we'll jump back to when I was in school. Uh, I did not study HR. 
Okay. I did not study business. Yeah. Instead, I studied English literature oh, and nice. history. Okay. <laughs> so super relevant. Yeah. Um, I also studied teaching. So I did the concurrent education program at Queens, uh-huh. um, graduating in 2018. And uh, it was a five-year program where you end up with two degrees that you work on simultaneously. Um, so yeah, I think like one of the things that led me towards that path in general was that as a kid... Um, I was never someone to really pursue things that I wasn't already good at. Mm, interesting. So yeah, this kind of goes into this whole idea of like the locus of control. But the way I picked my career path was basically, hmm, what traits do I currently have? Right. You know, X, Y, Z. Okay, if I have these traits, then that kind of limits me to these options. Mm. So um, yeah, like I think it's a bit of an unfortunate way of limiting yourself. And I think like, I'm not the only one who falls into a trap like this, but I ended up studying what I studied, liked it, but was like, eh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's okay. Like I, it's a career path. It's stable. Um, and what would have been that career path for you though? Oh, just teaching, like teaching okay. in high school, right. yeah, being an English and history teacher. Um, so I stuck it out, even though I knew that, you know, I didn't know that I was the most passionate about it. And what I actually was very passionate about during my time in school was uh, the part-time job that I had throughout ah, university. Okay. And that was working at our campus pub and nightclub. <laughs> so I started off in my first year as... Um, working in the kitchen and yeah. cooking and being oh, wow. like the coat check person at the nightclub. Super fun. Um, and then I, in my second year, I was a server. And then in my third year, I became a manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of my foray into alcohol, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> being I thought you were going to say hospitality. It. I mean, that like, too. <laughs> yeah, but alcohol. Okay, yeah. the wonderful world of alcohol. Right, exactly. And it, it was really neat seeing not just like what kind of went on into the operations of, you know, a hospitality establishment like yeah. that, but also like purely in the alcohol part of things, like working with the vendors that would come in, mm. um, being able to taste test the new products. And I just thought that it was really cool and um, in between my fourth and fifth year, that's like where you wrap up your your bachelor's and then the f- in September you start like your full-time teacher's college. Uh, in my head, I was like, okay, this is my last chance to like do something totally unrelated to teaching before I am a teacher forever. For life. Exactly. Because yeah. like I, I still thought of it as that like lifelong career path. Because well, that's a very Ontario thing to right. a Canada thing, right? For our mm-hmm. audience, it's global. Um it's kind of like you also don't make like, what shall we say? You won't be comfortable with your salary unless mm-hmm. you have tenure as a teacher, right? And exactly. you're like, which might be I don't know, eight, twelve years or something. So exactly in the public school system, right? Right. It's like it's a system very much based on seniority, not just in terms of salary, but even like the placement of school that you go to, or mm. even having a full time job in general. Um, right. When I graduated, it was very much like. A grinding game of like getting a su- being on a supply list and then being like a preferred supply teacher oh, and then really? be- and then becoming like maybe you pick up a couple of teaching contracts. It takes a while before you get up to the point that you you know are like a steady teacher at a particular wow. school. So yeah, like I it really is something that is um you know a long journey and the thought of it was very daunting in my head as well. I mean, I feel daunted just like talking about it now. Um, So yeah, that summer was very much uh, like, okay, time to do something that is totally unrelated before I'm 
like you know stuck in this stuck it sounds kind of bad yeah. but you know and married to your career exactly like yeah. you're you're in this very long career path so i applied to a bunch of different things um there were some interesting jobs out there i mm. will say but i did eventually find this little company called iconic brewing company okay um located in toronto not too far from here, right yeah. at the corner of King and Bathurst. And um, the job description read that it was a part-time kind of sampling opportunity. Uh, you know, we're out there trying to connect with consumers and have them taste test our products. And I said, okay, like, ideally it would have been full-time for the summer, but I'll take what I can get. And it sounds interesting. Yeah. So I, I applied and uh, they accepted me. I was like, okay, cool. And I show up for my first day of training um, to two people in a very small office. Um, yeah, we were teeny tiny back in the day. A um, couple others who had joined for the orientation as well. And we just spent the morning, like, you know, learning the different products that we had and, like, talking about tasting notes and running a couple, like, role play scenarios where I could practice selling to a customer. Um, again, and they were brewing there on site. They still weren't. Yeah, we weren't oh, because weren't, yeah, weren't. we were. We've always relied on like a co-packing production model where we work with manufacturing partners who mm -hmm. do it for us. But we we kind of do the R and D internally okay. and yeah. the marketing and sales. Yeah, which we can talk about further on because I think that is still really neat. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, um, again, so like you I've show up their yeah, first day show up. in this like empty place. Right, it's like with a tiny people. office. Yeah, and. Um, Again, like I always considered myself good at talking to people. That's why I ended up in teaching. And uh, yeah, like I think I did decently. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, my bosses at the time seemed to think so too. Uh, and they, at the end of the day, pulled me aside and basically said, hey, we really liked you. I know that originally this was supposed to be, you know, like a part-time job hmm. um, doing some samplings, but would you like to be our intern for the summer? Um, like doing full-time, full-time hours. And I was like, oh, perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, and thus began my actual career in the beverage alcohol industry. Um, mm. And yeah, being a startup and like maybe this is something that you'd be familiar to. Yeah. You wear a ton of hats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do everything. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, what the task is. If it's something that's of deep importance, everyone puts down their things and helps out. Right. So that was like the epitome of what that summer looked like. It was the first year that we launched a brand that you might be familiar with now, Cottage Springs. And okay. um, at the time, there were only like two SKUs or two products. But, um, so you said this was Iconic Beverage Company. Iconic Brewing, which is right. Ace. Yes, which is okay. now Ace. So oh, this is okay. this is a snaking long I see, long I path. see. This, yes. is, this is how it comes together. <laughs> it will come together in a, a few years' time, I promise. Um, so yeah, I spent the summer, like on Monday to Friday, I'd be like ca cold calling the LCBO, doing sales stuff, trying to get them to bump up inventory and mm -hmm. whatnot. And then sometimes on the weekends, I'd be working at the various events that we had, serving at like... Beer Fest and Rib Fest right beside the co-founders. Um, we were very entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. We like believed in like hustling and grinding hard. It was a really competitive industry. It still is. Yeah, maybe and more so now. Probably more so. Because we're talking what year? This is a few years 2018, ago. 2018. Yeah. 2018, yeah. Right before the seltzer explosion. Right. That's how I like to think about it. Um, as a category, it's just grown 
tremendously. But right around that time was uh, when consumers were just starting to dip their toe into the pool of, you know, no sugar drinks or Mm -hmm. better for you drinks. And that was something that we were kind of riding the wave of that we saw it coming and we were like, all right, we got to get on this. Um, And we really nailed it with our first two products, which were the um, the Cottage Springs Ontario Peach and Lemon Lime Vodka Sodas. So, yeah, I basically spent that summer doing everything mm-hmm. as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really fun. I loved it a lot. You know, there's always a little voice in the back of my head saying like, okay, but I know you like this. This is not related to what you studied at yeah. all. Is this your real job or are you just right. biding time? Are you, you exactly. Know, is this a summer gig that's taking too long? Yeah, yeah. that's that's very much what I, I, I like thought about. And, you know, my family talked to me about too. Like they were like, yeah, you can have fun. But remember... You went to school for a particular thing. You're going to have a job in that thing. And I was like, okay. Um, So (laughs) September rolls around and I'm like, oh, time to go back to school. Time to be a teacher forever. But I wasn't really ready to let go yet. So I talked to the founders of Iconic Brewing and told them like about my situation and let them know that, hey, like if you do still have anything you'd like me to do, like if I can do that from from school like I would still love to be involved in any capacity and thankfully they said like oh f- of course we, we always have work for right. you to do right. um so they let me do that um well we'll skip ahead because again the teaching stuff not too relevant but by the time I finished up teachers college I was still like okay I know this isn't for me still I'm still thinking about this company that I love so much mm-hmm. and the work that I'm doing there so um upon leaving school they offered me a full-time job again just kind of being a jack of all trades, like doing what was needed. So the time in between was how long? So from 2018 to 2019, I'd say. Oh, just a year. Okay. Right, just a year. But they'd grown, I'm guessing, since? Right, yeah. When I joined, I was employee number seven. Wow, okay. So we were small on the day, and I'd say since maybe we had grown to maybe around 15 people by 2019. Yeah, so that was that was really cool. Um, I appreciated the fact that they gave me all these opportunities, and they were letting me try a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I was really that person who's always been about like, I'm for the team, like whatever the team needs, I'm there. doesn't matter if it's like something I, I already know how to do or don't, if I don't know how to do it, I'll figure it out and Mm -hmm. then I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, anytime there was some kind of opportunity for me, they were like, Hey, would you like to try this? And I said, of course. So I do out to try again. I did some sales. I did some marketing. I did some events. I dipped my toe into logistics a little bit, like coordinating orders and deliveries, um, route planning, a little bit of e-commerce, um, especially once the pandemic hit in 2020. Uh, that was a big moment where, you know, everyone in alcohol in Ontario had to really pivot because, um, yeah, like, uh, restaurants were closed like a lot of things had had shut down like the lcbo was closed for a while too um we turned to a direct delivery model where um i became the order coordinator and route planned every morning and then like pretty much everyone in our company became drivers oh wow (laughs) overnight um but that's what you have to do right Yeah, it sounds like steam whistle yeah yeah. (laughs) that's kind of what they used to do in the beginning right exactly um and and that's their like love of their cars, right? The green mm. old cars, heritage cars. But um, so this is interesting. Okay, so you came back to it. You guys were growing. Pandemic mm-hmm. hits. Everything becomes about kind of like direct to consumer a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on that logistics front, you'd have to build out a bunch of stuff to fulfill direct orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that picture like in terms of how you guys scrambled to get something together to 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 actually pivot? 
Oh, man. I think there was a lot of conversations going on behind the scenes. I'm sure there was panicking because, right. again, um, putting myself back into that time, like we really didn't know how long this was going to go, mm -hmm. uh, go on for. What we knew is that we were committed to not laying anyone off because we we understood that this might just be temporary and we don't want to lose the talent if we can help it. Yeah. So we turned instead to, again, like, like looking to find if we could find someone who had a, a license that we could, or, or sorry, a, a liquor license that we could leverage and then use that to then sell alcohol as well. Because again, since we didn't produce our own alcohol, right. we technically didn't have our own premises or our own liquor license to be right. to be doing this. So it was a little bit of a loop, uh, a loop around, um, I guess you could call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, like loophole. we made it work. a loophole. That's yeah. the word. Thank you. Um, but we made it work. And I think we've always been about that. Like those little tricks, those little loopholes. Like Because you've got to be agile. you got to be agile. And you're in an industry mm -hmm. where though there's differentiation, tons of products in the marketplace mm -hmm. to compete against. You also have mainstay brands that are, of course, like I don't even know how the market share breaks up, let's say, local in Ontario. Do you know the stats on like how many different breweries there are or how many different brands in play for, let's call it beer. Right. And then of that, what the market share ownership is for the big two or big three breweries. I got to admit, I'm not, yeah, it's, I'm not a stats person at all, but your, your, uh, your inclination is spot on from what I know. Right. Um, what we have been seeing from a personnel standpoint and like just looking at the various companies is that um, it first started in craft beer and now it's in seltzers. There's a boom mm -hmm. in which, you know, a lot of people see this trend. They try to jump in on it and they make these products. They realize that now the market is oversaturated and it's hard to really differentiate yourself. And the way that a lot of breweries are staying alive these days is through acquisitions. Mm. So you'll see that there are a lot, there's lots more consolidation. Um, these bigger companies are snatching up all the smaller companies and that helps them, you know, take over more regional parts of market share right. where like those those brands may be doing really well but in the grand scheme of things you know they might not be yeah, yeah, the big time players Interesting. and uh yeah the big time players are just like that's how they're they're that's what their growth strategy is looking like these days just acquiring others so through the pandemic 2020 2021 mm -hmm. as things started like maybe retail sales and like b2b business started picking up after that two-year kind of period mm -hmm. i keep telling you know it's funny I, I keep telling people funnily enough just this week reminding people that Q1 last year, Ontario or Toronto was, yeah, Ontario was in lockdown. Mm -hmm. Like it was a year ago. Right. So though everyone's kind of of the mindset, especially now as the weather warms, they're going to be like, oh, forget about the pandemic. It was so long ago. It was middle ages. It was last year, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> so the business realities were definitely restrictive uh, up until very recently. And even then retail hasn't necessarily picked up, right? Mm -hmm. So where were you guys at in terms of uh, growth kind of, let's call it like at the beginning of last year, like 2022. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I, I might even jump back a little bit to like the very end of 2020 where, again, we started to get used to this new model. Um, thankfully, at this point, uh, we were allowed back into the LCBO. Like they, they were allowing for our sales team to enter again and do their business with restrictions, of course. Yeah. But um, for samplings, and right? Stuff. For samplings and yeah. and just like like working on displays and everything. But um, again, like we saw the the direction that a lot of the market was going in about consolidating different companies and looking to you know um, just like 
really hold on to their place in the market. Mm -hmm. And our founders um, at Iconic Brewing Company had been longtime admirers of the founders at Ace Hill. So they they started talking like through 2020. Um, Yes. And they were kind of just like, oh, like what's going on over there? Like, what are you guys doing? And I think sharing some best practices that way as well. it turns out that Ace was doing something very similar to us. Um, they also had a very similar ethos of, you know, hustling, like making making things work and just looking for solutions whenever they could. So um, as the founders talked more, they realized, hey, you know what? Like Ace, ha- Ace Hill has beer. Iconic Brewing doesn't have beer. Mm-hmm. And while both companies have a vodka soda, like there are still there's still mm-hmm. like little things that are different. And even in terms of the personnel, like some things that Iconic Brewing was missing, Ace Hill had and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So as those conversations progressed, um, it led to a merger between the, the two companies, um, which is right around the time that I also stepped into the people and culture role Um Purely out of necessity, I think. Um, Someone had to do it. Right. Someone had to. We had gone, we we were like around 25 employees at that point. At Iconic. At Iconic, yeah. And then um, we understood that, you know, we need someone to help look after this kind of stuff. And I'm sure like, while I wasn't privy to these conversations at the time, like maybe our founders were also thinking, we're also going to need someone to help once, you know, we've merged Mm -hmm. and and managed the culture that way. Mm -hmm. So, um I stepped into the role, and then shortly after, the merger occurred, and we immediately doubled our headcount yeah. to around 50 people total. So as they were Ace about Beverage 25. Group. Right. They were the also side. about 25. Okay. Yeah. So very similar companies to begin yeah. with, and um, thankfully, their culture was quite similar as well. So what does that mean? Paint the picture of the like post-merger culture. Like, What is the culture of now, I guess, just Ace Beverage Group? Right, okay. right. Um, I'd say, uh, oh man, it's, it's like so strange thinking back to it because we were also all remote at the time. Mm. So that adds an extra layer of complexity, sure. uh, you know, getting to know people through a computer screen or over Slack. Um, I'd say in general, everyone was, you know, curious yeah. about each other. Like we had never really met everyone on the other, like on the other, on the other, other side, side of the, of the pond. Yeah. On the other side of the screen. Um, and, uh, yeah, everyone was just kind of like, interested and you know looking forward to what the future had to offer because we understood that having joined forces our Mm -hmm. resources suddenly doubled and we have a lot more firepower in terms of you know the products that are in our portfolio the people that are um, available to us and just various resources so I think in general like when I stepped in to start managing the culture um, this was also like my first foray into into people and culture so there was also kind of that extra thing to think about what do I have to do in this position like from a compliance perspective to like the cultural perspective Um, so I mean I handled the culture stuff um using my teaching background, funnily mm. enough, uh, I started scheduling just little coffee chats, not okay. unlike what we're doing right now, sure. where we could meet in small groups and just kind of start getting to, to know each other and talk a little bit. And um, w- another thing that I did was, this sounds very silly, but I, I implemented some show and tell. Okay, so, I love that. That's not silly. Yeah, that's awesome. I thought it was awesome too. And again, yeah. it came back to my teaching roots. I thought to myself, okay, um, I understand that, you know, Uh, people maybe will organically talk to each other a bit as they're working. But Mm -hmm. like, how do we break those silos? Because you might only be working with a handful of people within teams. Um, And I thought to myself, okay, when it comes to children (laughs) and and like pretty much everyone, the best way of really building shared context is how I like to refer to it, is by like making new inside jokes, like getting to know people outside of work as well. Right. And we're all working from home. So I thought to myself, I have knickknacks at home. 
I'm sure other people do as well. So why don't I schedule again, like small groups? And the only prompt I'm going to tell people is, um, please come prepared with an item that you would like to show to others. Mm -hmm. And you can talk a little bit about what it is. Maybe it's significant to you. Maybe it's not. It could be a little trinket. Maybe it's like something you brought back from vacation. Um, and we got to hear some really interesting things. Mm. Um, I still remember some of my teammates back then um, and like with the items that they shared because it just created such a strong What's the weirdest impression. thing someone shared? Oh, gosh. Um, the weirdest thing. Honestly, none of them were that weird. A lot of them were really like cool, like definitely a lot of trinkets from vacations that people had gone on. Um, like I thought that was something that was neat. Like a treasure chest full of gold that someone <laughs> dug up from a broken pirate ship in the Bahamas. I wish if they had that, they wouldn't be working with us. <laughs> They'd be good. They're like, guess what, guys? I only have this job for fun. Yeah. Oh, I don't need the money. And everyone's freaking out. What do you mean? That would be cool. Um but no, we, we like we just saw a lot of neat things and we got to know each other a lot more that way. Yeah. Um, and it, I think the other thing, too, with any merger or acquisition is it's hard to shake that the fear and insecurity about what it means for your own job. Honestly, yeah, people right? get freaked out. And it's a tough thing, even from a leader standpoint, to mm -hmm. communicate clearly because there's things you can't say until a certain time. There's also your heads probably as the leadership team trying to close a deal and work on logistics. Mm -hmm. You got a lot of work in front of you. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very difficult, especially with this like small, medium sized team. Uh, if someone, know, you know, if you weren't there, uh, owning that role of trying to like bridge these communication gaps. Mm -hmm. um, that's interesting. But that's good thinking to, to try and kind of break the ice and humanize this like growth stage. Exactly. And I think that's exactly what my goal was is I really like the term you just used is humanizing. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted people to realize like, hey, these are people as well. They are they're going to be working on our team just like we have, you know, these past few years. We don't need to be afraid of each other. Yeah. We're ultimately all just trying to get by, do our jobs. And like, that's that's really it. Yeah. And I think once people kind of understand that and they come to a mutual understanding about that they can relax from right. a personal standpoint and that's when they can start making connections so how did you um so then i guess as people came together like what's been the journey of of kind of like the post merger mm -hmm. post remote work zoom reality mm -hmm. um i think it's been awesome uh, it's been it's has taken a couple of years because um, we again, we had two offices as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was like the physical merging that had to happen. Like we ended up leaving our office at King and Bathurst uh, due to the building being demolished. I don't think we would have left if we could help it. <laughs> it stay there forever. Yeah, that, that building is ancient, but so fun and has so many memories in it. Um, but it was really cool. Like, I think the key was creating these projects that people could work on together. So yeah. even in like, you know, physically relocating offices, um, regardless of, you know, which which company someone came from previously, like they, we just encouraged them to shed that from their identities right. and r recognize that we have a new shared identity. Like, OK, so I, like if I'm the one who's like managing this transition process, I might say, hey, who wants to come with me to that old office, pick up some things, maybe laugh at some old memories. Mm. I'll tell you some stories and some old jokes about things that happened here. And people from both sides put their hands up. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's, that was key. Um, so those shared projects were a really big thing. I think the other thing, too, was um, 
I like to think about the idea of creating an employee value proposition. Okay. Kind of like the way how any company thinks about their own value proposition about what they're bringing to a market. I, as a people and culture leader, have to think about, okay, for my employees, how can I make their time with us valuable as yeah. well? So on returning to work, um, I tried to I tried to do a lot of different things to really make our office fun. And okay, like, what are some yeah. examples? <laughs> You're like, hmm, take Yes, <laughs> intrigued, intrigued. Color me intrigued. Yeah, I think there have been a lot of really cool things that we've implemented since, you could call it, like again, like Q1 of last year where we really returned to work properly. Yeah. Um, for one thing, like sprucing up, like silly things, like the snacks that we have available, mm. like having coffee available to people. That wasn't something that we always did. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, too, um, from a more physical perspective was that we we made changes to the space so that people could work closely and work on the same level. So um, at our office now, which is uh, located like up at DuPont and Dufferin. It's a big open, like it, it kind of looks like a co-working space. It doesn't look okay. dissimilar to what you guys have going on okay, here actually. Cool. Um, but people are, like people can chat, they can, you know, be working on things, but then you could just look over and, and chat with someone. You know, I think there's, there's a lot of beauty in that. Yeah. There's still breakout rooms so that if you want to have a private conversation or have a smaller team meeting or even just have a space to work away from others, like mm -hmm. whatever the reason. Focus or privacy, that. right? Totally, right? Everyone has a different uh, working style that works best for them. So um, like those little changes there. Uh, from an innovation-specific standpoint, mm -hmm. um, we've always very much prided ourselves on innovation and our company values are based on innovation as well. So we thought about ways of encouraging innovation always. And um, one of the things that our director of innovation has done is she's created an innovation station on one of the walls. Okay. So her team will create various flavors, like, and they rotate on a weekly basis. Imagine like a Starbucks like pump, like yeah. how you can order different pumps of things. Okay. It could be like two pumps of blue raspberry, one pump of Concord grape, and you just pump them into you know a glass or something, and then you could top it up with sparkling caffeinated water, sparkling water, and also vodka soda for our happy hours. Um, I like this. Yes. This is interesting. Yes. So it's super neat. Um, it's something that everyone loves. It keeps us hydrated. It keeps us energetic. And, um, you know, the hope is that people start thinking about flavor combinations. They try things outside yeah. of the box. And although it hasn't happened yet, we are hoping that maybe one day it will lead to a product idea. Right. Because I think that that would be really neat. Um, so there's a there's a fun little idea there for you. Um, well, wait, mm -hmm. I need to I need to hear more about this sparkling caffeinated water. <laughs> yeah. So we have a sister company called Wake Water. I don't know if you've ever heard. Never of them. heard of it. Yeah, they are also based in Toronto. Um, it was an idea that our co-founders uh, at Iconic made, and then eventually spun off into its own business because it was really taking off. Huh. But um, they created a a ready to drink energy drink that is sparkling caffeinated water, starting with a grapefruit and lemon flavor. And um, the whole thing was that, you know, in a lot of these energy drinks that currently exist on the market, they're full of all these other additives, like mm -hmm. other things that you don't really know what's yeah, going on. Yeah, a lot on. of crap to give you a heart attack. Right. And a lot of sugar too yeah. was, the, was the big one. So they developed a product that was no sugar, um, it's using your green tea base for caffeine. Okay. So in addition to the caffeine, there's also a compound called L-theanine, which naturally exists in green tea. And it helps to counteract some of the more um, 
you know, anxiety producing symptoms that can come with just drinking coffee or caffeine regularly. Mm. So you get like the energy for sure, but you also don't get that crash right. that some people would uh, or the jitters, which is really nice. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's it's delicious. Um, we do we use the exact same liquid in our sparkling caffeinated water uh, system at the innovation station, um, except this way, like, you know, you're not bound to whatever is currently available in can form, right. you can make whatever well. flavor you want. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fun. So a little bit of a, like animation and opportunity for serendipity and people mm -hmm. to like have fun together in the office. Right. And like a, a very literal water cooler, like yeah. almost an upgraded water cooler, right. if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. No, so, we've definitely yeah. seen the popularity of that. Just, just water alone. Like we have, we have a couple of different like hydration stations at mm. Starwell and sparkling water on tap itself is magic. It is. It really is. I think like sometimes what we've learned is that people want just some levity in their mm -hmm. life. They want something to really make them feel excited about it. And I think it's an added bonus when it's an opportunity to step away from your desk and just chat with people, talk to them about what's going on outside of work. Um, and I think it's it's moments like that that really make con like connections. Yeah, it's it's so hard to replicate virtually yeah. is something that we've learned. I don't think you can. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm all for like the remote worker revolution, you know, that like North Americans are, are high on right now. Mm -hmm. But... Just in terms of saving people, like the inconvenience of long commutes and the expense of unnecessary gas and environmental damage and all that stuff's valid, but it's bloody wicked to spend time with people that you really enjoy the company of and that you have fun with. Right. And you can't, I don't believe you can replicate that digitally. It mm -hmm. just like, as someone who I, I used to be uh, in the open source software community for many mm -hmm. years in different uh, open source projects, managing teams that were, you know, thousands of developers around the world. Um, and that was like a good decade almost that I was mm -hmm. doing that. And uh, and that was back in like 2005, two th well, before that. Whoa. Two decades of doing open <laughs> source work. Yeah. Uh, so for like 20 years, I was working with remote teams all over the world. Mm -hmm. And like, it was cool. But all those communities always had some form of meetups in their local regions mm -hmm. and, you know, a global annual conference because working only remotely doesn't necessarily give people that like positive feedback of um, the collective, of, of the experience of the collective. Right. And that can be so empowering if people share values and are excited by their company in, in real life, that feeling of collective pursuit enables the kind of motivation mm -hmm. uh, and I think gives it energy, you know, and it gives people the energy to keep feeling committed to their purpose. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's a really interesting point that you make too, because it's something that I've noticed um, in having everyone be back in the office, uh, you know, in, in a hybrid capacity, yeah. some more than others, like some like myself are in four times a week. So pretty often um, what it has really done is also, um, in, in strengthening those connections, it has, in a sense, built a more innovative workplace. Okay. And I really attribute that to just the fact that people feel a lot more psychologically safe. Mm. And it's actually, to me, it's... Being together, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Being together, it feels psychologically safe. Um, knowing your coworkers outside of the screen means that, you know, you understand their intentions. You, you understand... Trust them. Yeah, you trust them. Um, 
you you just like understand the best way of co- communicating with them and um with that all together it creates a workplace where people understand that like hey i know that that person is like there for me i know that i can trust them i know that if I, they give me an or if i give them an idea and they provide me feedback that's not them attacking me it's yeah. us working towards a shared goal there's so much <laughs> gray area in communication mm-hmm. with just pure digital yeah that assumptive anxiety is uh, is very difficult to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's cool that you guys are kind of like back in action and for the first time in a way. Right, right. Yeah, I think we've we've definitely been hitting our stride. Summertime is a is a time that we look forward to a lot because yeah. um, we're all generally in office a lot more. Uh, we have like a team of awesome interns who are joining us too, nice. so our headcount grows pretty significantly. Um, and it's uh, definitely our busiest season as well, given that you know people do generally tend to enjoy beverages the mm-hmm. most when it's warm out. So um, we've started implementing like weekly all hands to like uh, we call this period like the ninety day sprint prior to the Victoria Long Week. Okay. Uh, so the May long weekend, like May 2-4. Right. Um, because that's the time where we believe that everyone starts picking out their drink of the summer. So by May 2-4, you've decided on your drink Man, this for is the some summer. 20-year-old thing. Picking <laughs> yeah. your drink out for the summer. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting concept. Maybe we, it's not a yeah. 20-year-old thing. I don't know. What's the demo on that? Like, what kind of age set are we talking about? Is that everybody picks out a drink for the summer? I think probably a gen z millennial I've thing i picked primarily. out a drink for the decade i right. stick with my red you know red wine of course variations of but yeah so La you'd Brusco be in the yeah. summer you'd be a hard person to win over but yeah, with the uh, with with gen z and millennials being so or like uh with tiktok and you know instagram and other right. social media driving their own um consumer choices and preferences we we understand that they can be a fickle crowd Mm. and it's like every year we have to work again at winning them over um so this this time period is so crucial for us like we're just trying to get as many people trying our products as they can recognizing our products so that the next time they stop by a store and they see cottage springs or ace hill on a shelf Mm -hmm. they're like oh yeah i think i saw that you know somewhere like um I saw someone from my school drinking that or like, oh, I heard about that new flavor. I should check it out. And then it leads to, you know, incremental sales that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, especially coming out still coming out of that kind of like the pandemic where, you know, actually this might be the first. Yeah. I mean, realistically, this is the first real summer return to Mm -hmm. IRL Mm -hmm. in Ontario. Uh, Right. It's interesting. One other thing, of course, that's interesting is uh a few years ago i don't know if this is still the case ace hill became the drink on board porter right airlines yes uh is that still the case no unfortunately okay. yeah the contract is now with someone else um so it rotates every right few years it rotates every once in a while but that was such a cool way of really cementing like what a toronto staple that ace hill is yeah um i attribute this to um how powerful our on-premise team is and we call on-premise anywhere where you can both purchase and drink alcohol at the same spot so okay. like you know, a concert hall, a restaurant, a bar, and in this case, also Porter. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, like they have been doing so much work to get us out there. And I think when you go to, you know, these small and local places like a bar or restaurant and you see our products, like an Ace Hill beer, for example, yeah. you're just like, oh, this is like, this is what we drink in Toronto. Right. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. In fact, 
uh, ASIL was the first beer that we offered to uh, on campus when we were primarily a, a you know, a, a, what would we say, a startup focused kind of co working space in mm-hmm. 2017 at Starwell. And we had kegs here and there and or keg fridges, and it was all like self serve, which was crazy mm. uh, back then, thinking <laughs> of those high times um, of startup revelry. But yeah, so we had like Ace Hill on tap, and people were basically. Uh, enjoying it back when there was just two ASIL beers. I think there was a Pilsner and a lager. Yeah, yeah. Right the, 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 the white and blue can, right? Yeah. Yeah. And made it easy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were proud. We were proud because it was definitely a Toronto play and, and, and it, it, it that synonymity was, was there. So Definitely. Um, team growth, what does it look like and how do you, how comfortable do you feel in your role mm. as you've kind of been stewarding a culture for the company mm-hmm. uh, in the next couple of years, like what's or next year, what's what's ahead past this summer season? Yeah, I think it's really exciting. Um, I'd say last year was our our uh, era for meteoric growth, where yeah. like quite literally, again, we added our head to our headcount quite a bit. We're slowing down now because we understand that we've assembled an amazing team and we want to like really develop everyone and make sure that. Uh, everyone has a chance and opportunity to grow further yeah. where they are, myself included, actually. Um, so what I've done for myself is, uh, you know, I've, I do feel like I've come a long way from initially stepping in in 2020 with no HR background right. um, and like learning on the fly. But I attribute that to having amazing mentorship okay. from um, my own my own supervisor, who is our, the CFO at our company. Um, and he's been an amazing source of, you know, um, pushing me to to develop my own business acumen, to develop my skills in, in helping to manage people mm-hmm. and always reminding me that even though I'm a team of one, so yeah. I'm the, the, the sole HR individual at our company, in a sense, my stakeholders and my clients and my customers are the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. So that's something to always uh, take into account is that I need to have the same, you know, customer service mindset and um, that like stewardship Um in order to really be serving my own people the best that I can. And I do so with um, bettering myself professionally. Um, I'm doing courses outside of work as well. So I do one course every quarter working towards a designation in HR, um, which the company is supporting me for or supporting me through. And I'm so grateful to them. Nice. That's fantastic. Yeah. Understanding that, you know, everything that I learn out there, I can bring back as well. and, and really like help make us stand out even further sure. and have and like the, and just really like improve that award-winning culture that we're known for. Well, this is what this gathering mm-hmm. series is all about because I found that there's so many professionals in this space that come to the um, come to various roles in supporting teams. Uh, even if they did have scholastic training, you know, in sociology and whatever it is, human psychology and HR, uh, organizational behavior, um, things evolve so fast, mm-hmm. especially like we've mentioned just in your short career history of talking of something like the pandemic taking work remote and then a merger happening and now you've got to steward the change in people, uh, people's expectations and, and how they uh, interrelate, interrelate digitally and then in person mm-hmm. uh, and then preparing again now for, for growth and there's so much that you've already been privy to. Um, how are you otherwise finding, if at all, uh, sounding boards and mentors within this kind of uh, type of role? Do you have a posse of, of HR people that you've... Because I know everyone ends up 
it seems like, ends up in their silo and they're very busy in, mm -hmm. in this role. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to even kind of like find time to meet other people in different companies that are in the same roles. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you on that too. Um, I think there's a couple of ways of tackling it in my experience. Um, there's a very structural way mm -hmm. in the sense that like one of the goals that my, my mentor and I at work have set for me is doing like three networking chats every quarter. So like quite literally, I'm held to that KPI. Um, it's not a burden to me. I really oh, like yeah. it. It's basically an excuse to go get coffee um, and meet someone new and, you know, try to hear about what their own experience has been and glean whatever insights I can. Mm -hmm. So that's been something that's been amazing. Um, in the course of working towards my designation, uh, there is the Human Resources Professional Association as well. So I've attended just one event so far, but I've met some lovely people there and we nice. have plans to, to keep meeting. And I think finally, the, the last thing is that... Um, Good HR insights don't only have to come from others in HR. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've learned. Um, so at our own office, we have developed like a little bit of a culture committee. And it's of these people who have always been like comfortable sharing ideas about things that we can be doing. Like, hey, like, what about if we tried this? Like, I think that could be really cool. Um, and they don't work in HR. Again, I'm the only person. But they've just always been so good and so insightful that That's sometimes awesome. yeah i like why do the heavy lifting myself right. why do i have to be the idea generator right. if someone comes to me with a great idea then i said i think to myself yeah that why don't we do that well, let's run with yeah, it culture should be participatory mm -hmm. and it's funny because it's something that kind of does take that you know open dialogue within an organization to steward because otherwise the, people fall into all these silos of like productivity and focusing on like whatever the milestone for achievement is mm -hmm. and everyone's doing their own thing very functionally. And yeah, they might have pauses here and there to hang out, but uh, without making culture a topic of discussion in the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think anyone in that role would be kind of lacking, but also would feel disengaged from the people that they're working with. So. Right. Right. I cool. think, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey is merging innovation deeply into the root of our culture yeah. because we've effectively turned innovation into our culture. Nice. So um, one of the things that we do, and I think, again, this builds into our culture and, and how like we build it, is an innovation day. So a couple times each year, we hold what I like to think of as a one-day Dragon's Den competition. Cool. Yeah, hearkening back to our own co-founders appearing on Dragon's Den um, initially with their product idea. But um, we gather everyone in the company, we put them all into different teams. So they're working with people across departments. And uh, that morning we say, okay, you have until this afternoon, you're going to create a product idea. You're going to work with marketing and create I the packaging. Yeah. You're going to work with innovation and make the liquid. And in the afternoon, you're going to present it in front of a panel of judges from the CPG industry. So we've had like... Founders from Flowwater, Biosteel, you know, like a, 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 some VPs from Loblaws and mm -hmm. everything just to add extra credibility and, and for their insights. And people get really into it for sure because it's like at the end of the day, it's a great team building exercise. Yeah, but sure. the organization also benefits because we've taken these ideas and we've actually created them. Yeah. Um, and That's it's amazing. It's so great. Like it makes everyone buy into doing beyond what their job is and yeah. understanding that there's a bigger cause than that. So yeah, it's it's one of the most unique things about our company. And so I think it's a great example of exactly how we've turned innovation into our culture. Well, I think there's a lot of lessons and insights that you've kind of been picking up through your career journey. And it was awesome to hear them and, and 
share some of these stories. Uh, but also, you know, um, we're going to actually be good about it. I've been very bad about keeping this as a monthly thing. But starting in May, we're going to be doing this like a social. Uh, mm-hmm. So the gathering social, which is just a kind of a happy hour sort of situation, a Sanka set once a month on a Thursday uh, to bring our audience for this series together in Toronto to be able to kind of like meet each other and just jam on ideas. Mm-hmm. And every month we'll have a talk. Uh, and I'd love to kind of involve you in a panel talking about this you know, I think fun and innovation seem to be like two pillars of your approach, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure people would love to hear anecdotes from and, and jam on. Yeah, I would. I would love to be there. Awesome. Awesome. And cool. we'll we'll bring the beverages. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Well, thanks for joining me today. It was awesome to have you on the podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I had such a blast. Nice. <laughs> nice.